This is the Saxo Market Call. Daily insights on what is moving the financial markets. Hello and welcome to this special edition of the Saxo Market Call. It is Tuesday, 27th of December, 2022, when we're recording this. It's coming out a couple of days later. But this special edition featuring a chat with our Saxo's Chief Investment Officer, Stane Jakobsen. So welcome, Stane. And um, yeah, I'm going to start off with basically the year that was, 2022, a really remarkable year. Uh, folks that just maybe are tracking the equity market only saying, yes, this has been a bad year. But this, the, really the full perspective for portfolios pensions is necessary to bring in here. This was a year of devastation for so-called balanced portfolios, and especially for those believing that, that for example, fixed income side could bring some kind of offset. So I just penciled in a couple of uh, you know total returns for the year. Take something like the U.S. Uh, TLT ETF. This is an ETF that tracks the 20-year plus U.S. treasuries down, a total return down on the order of 30 plus percent this year. That almost as bad as the NASDAQ 100, which has done worse than the S&P because, of course, it rose higher during the, the bubble time of the pandemic. But still, that was down 33%. So your entire portfolio down possibly something on the order of 30% if you're in those, those two uh, U.S.-focused, of course, assets. What happened in 2022, Steve? We got inflation wrong. And, of course, the, uh, the big event was February and the uh, Ukraine uh, war uh, started by Russia. And that together pretty much added up to a pivot by central banks from a loose monetary policy. Although, of course, we had early warnings in November of the year before last from the uh, very, very big change from uh, FOMC and, and Powell in particular. But central banks really went on the uh, on, on a wild uh, goose to chase to to get interest rate higher. And as we end the year. We have today, this week in the newspaper again, you know, ECB officials saying that we will go much higher than we use we should do. Biggest surprise probably being the ECB, but overall every single central bank. And one one good uh, point on that is that uh, I think uh, Jim Bianca put out a uh, a chart yesterday which showed the amount of government debt being negative. And the reference here is 30% of all government debt in 2020 was negative. Now it's 1.4%. I think that explains everything uh, in terms of the market. And of course, the direct impact on equity was that uh, companies that traditionally did well with very low uh, debt and high cash flow the uh, the discount rate, of course, went from uh, pretty much zero and then up to anywhere between 2 and 4%. And the average cost of capital in the S&P 500 now to raise capital is in excess of 7%. So that's very short and sweet sort of what happened in 22. All right. And then just to contrast with uh, the previous huge cycle, now is heading into the global financial crisis, just for perspective on how different this era is from that cycle. The TLT returned plus 33% uh, in total return if you reinvested the coupons back in 2008. So the total return for 2008 versus the NASDAQ's drawdown of 41%. And those using risk parity principles and leveraging up the bond side of that for matching the volatility would have had basically no loss for the year if they were operating those principles. So it really has been a remarkable year. And then the thing I think it's very interesting as we head into 2023, Stain, is the market's very strong conviction uh, that somehow things are going to turn out all right on the yield curve because these central banks are going to get ahead of inflation. The market pricing the Fed, not so much. Maybe, yes, they're going to cut rates, the market is saying, or at least pricing 
a little bit this year towards the end of the year, but that really strong pricing in 2024, suggesting that the yield curve will be nice and steep, much lower policy rates by the end of 2024, because we're going to get a recession. Um, and, and that long end of the bond yield curve is quite anchored. We've seen even an inversion in the twos to tens on the U.S. yield curve. That's the most profound since the early 80s. Pretty remarkable, given that these yield levels are not really historically that high. Do you think the market will get that uh, that outcome? <laughs> so it seems to be so uh, such a strong conviction in pricing as we're leaving this year. I hope not, because what you're really saying in a sort of bag way, uh, backward way to, to, to phrase it is that the real economy needs to be extremely poor for the equity and the bond market to perform and vice versa. So basically, we live in a time where when things are bad in the real economy, the uh, the equity owners and the bondholders do extremely well. And when the economy is doing strong, the equity uh, holders and bondholders do extremely poorly. And that's absolutely wrong by definition is absolutely wrong from a moral perspective. And it's certainly wrong by inequality and what's created from that policy. So what I find most concerning about that uh, consensus view, which is a very strong consensus view for 23, is that what are we really trying to get back to? Are we trying to get back to what the reference point that just made that 30% of all government debt needs to be negative, that we live in non-productive times, that we live in a time of negative real rates, but not least we live in times where we can constantly uh, pretend that we, we can run away from underneath the uh, the burden of debt. And I think that's, that's unrealistic from that perspective. So for me, you know, 23 is about three things. It's about whether you believe in deglobalization or not. It's about whether you believe that the energy situation has been resolved. And finally, it is between, as, as you rightly put it in the question, between whether you want to live in a productive society where the real economy is aligned to the stock market, or you want to live in an economy which is entirely based on support and through that support, yielding higher returns for stock markets. I think it's pretty clear that that cannot be achieved. And what is really the problem for the consensus is that the real economy needs to do well by definition because we we are in a situation where we need infrastructure we need to deal in a proper manner the the uh, the green transformation story and certainly we need to to reduce inequality globally so we 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 are up against some huge challenges that are not resolved by going back to what the market wants which is you know as you as you had heard to the the yield curve indicating that everything reverses by the middle of next year and then turns down so <clears throat> in your view then if we're not likely to get that that sort of eventual inversion or a move towards lower rates because we're, we're heading into this this uh, policy response is going to bring back the old model of, of rewarding uh, wealth and, and not just stimulating the real economy where, where does the fed blink or, or or what what is it inflation that continues and maintains uh, stays at a higher rate than anticipated in other words I think to me, and at least in my mind, if I was going to answer this question, I think the risk would be that inflation proves more persistent and that the central banks simply are, are incapable of getting ahead of it and, and really can't because of the leverage we have in this world and that it's a long end that continues to, to continues to rise in the new year. Maybe that's too, too early for this to happen, but I think eventually that's what we see uh, further down the road. The central banks, central banks simply can't take policy to where it needs to go to to get ahead of this problem because of the fiscal side and the, these priorities that you mentioned. Oh, you can argue if they don't get to that point, we, we will end up in a situation where we again reverse back to where we've been over the last 15 to 20 years, uh, pretend and extend. But but to me, I think the central bank will be 
at least uh, through the first half of next year, will be very, very adamant that they need to maintain and control inflation. And if the ECB right now is at a point where they are pointing to the fact that they will want to hike much higher than the, the forward rate indicates in the marketplace, I think that is critical. And maybe I should just, again, make the educational point that all these forward rates and all these forward curves, a lot of people keep telling me, oh, but the market is always right and the market has surprised in. <laughs> Uh, but I, I think we need to point to the fact that this is uh, like a parimutuel. This is the amount of money being bedded on the future, not the actual probability of the future, which is a huge difference, which I think is lost on a lot of people. You know, The fact that two-year, five-year, 10-year, and 30-year indicates that uh, the break-even rate is two and a quarter, two and a half percent for all these tenants yeah. is absolutely ridiculous in the sense that why, why would be, I mean, um, I'm not saying it's not going to two and a quarter. I'm just saying, why would they all be going to two and a quarter percent? The basic means of nothing will happen in the world. We'll, yeah. we'll be, you know, stopping and, and just living out of, uh, you know, a monetary policy, which is uh, too low to create uh, a, a, a very productive society. Yeah, it's a probability matrix, uh, as you're pointing out, not necessarily what, what our expectations are. It reflects people's hedging. It reflects many things. But it is remarkable, something like the two-year, two-year rate being below 3%, uh, anticipating that this inflation fight will succeed and we'll get it back to some sense of normalcy, despite the biggest shock uh, in 40 years. Now, uh, I actually want to refer to our uh, set of outrageous predictions, not the specifics in them, but I think the theme this year, I think is actually relevant to our discussion here. And the theme of these Saxo outrageous predictions for 2023 was this idea of the war economy. You alluded to it a little bit, getting the energy situation right. But when we talk about the war economy, we're talking about actual war, of course, in the case of, of Russia's invasion of Ukraine, suddenly uh, new new priorities to, to have much more extensive defense spending, uh, especially in Europe. But it also encompasses things like you mentioned, the supply chains, making sure uh, because the economy and our ability to, to, to grow the economy is a matter of natural, uh, national security, we can't have part shortages, especially in semiconductors, suddenly shutting down whole areas of industry. So we need to make sure these supply chains are more robust. Redundancy, reshoring, uh, the unacceptability of having relying too much on China from the West uh, West's perspective, and then from the other side, China, Russia, other countries, uh, Saudi, even not wanting to see their financial systems victim to the weaponization of the dollar. Uh, would you agree that all of these components of this sort of war economy framework? It's hard to find anything but inflation. Yeah, I mean. Every, everything you just uh, listed is a deglobalization play. The two biggest political agendas right now in the two biggest countries, China and the US, is in the case of China, is the dual circular, which is an initiative to make China self-sufficient. And of course, in the US, you have the CHIPS Act, which is entirely to take technology back and only being uh, driven and, and founded, funded and, 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 and executed on US soil. So these are strategic decisions. There is a weapon, uh, certainly a space race going on, which we talked about last year in our race predictions. Uh, and there's certainly on the internet on a daily basis, uh, you know, what, what in, in real life would have been in, infliction points and, and, and warlike uh, situation going on. So the, the constraints of the global economy and, and the warlike theme is really on, for me, again, the word of the word that comes to mind to me is constraints. We have constraints in the ability to do everything. I happen to think that constraints are good. I mean, there's a lot of sociology studies that shows that the <laughs> more constraints you have on human behavior, you're more 
innovative, the more practical, the more solution-based it becomes. So I think to a large extent, I, I'm not super negative on 23, merely because we're in a situation where we need to break free from under the realm of this uh, going back to not going going back to the future, but going back to to the the days of of, uh, of wrong monetary and fiscal policy uh, spent uh, that that we've seen. We, instead, we need to move to an agenda where we actually do something about the critical issues in society, which is to the ability to stand up for our constitutional uh, and uh, word speech, uh, freedom of speech, and, and the likes in the Western world. Certainly, uh, defense spending is a global theme. Uh, energy remains unresolved. And into the context of inflation, there are really three drivers on inflation right now. There are wages, they are uh, global goods prices, and they are you know, the ability to uh, to navigate the uh, the supply chain network. And, and if you look at these components on their own, that none of them are going well. Wages, of course, is rise significantly. Uh, the again back to your deglobalization theme. Global goods, you know, if China is being, you know, sanctioned off in in this, that, and the other, and you see the weaponization of the dollar, and then new links being formed on the energy side, then the energy side also is 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 clearly uh, part of of that. So, for me, I, I certainly think headline inflation comes down, but I don't think we're going to get to these two and a half three percent. I think the run rate for us as an official forecast is that we will be at 2x what we've seen over the last 10 years, which means in the case of, uh, yeah, just, just make it a broad base there. But basically, if we, we assume there was a 2%, there wasn't. But if there was a 2%, it's a 4% inflation rate, which it, means that everything needs to be discounted at 4% and not the 2, 25 that the forward market is indicating. And therefore, what is your take on, as a follow-on question to what you just said, there's some talk, there's been some chatter uh, there's even been, I think, some former uh, prominent central bank officials talking about it's inevitable to see the Fed and maybe other central banks moving to a higher inflation target as a sort of a, a way to get around putting real rates uh, too high. What, what do you, what's your take on that debate? Do you think that's maybe an eventuality here, that that's the way that Powell becomes the really the non-Volker that he's pretending to be now? But when they realize the you know, the, the multiplication effects and, and the, the, the weight of higher interest rates on the, the interest costs, the, the costs of servicing the U.S. debt, et cetera. Is that, is that their out for uh, sort of pu pulling back on some of their intents here? Well, the, you know, Paul has said the, we, we are not even talking about talking about, which is uh, since he's done. Which means they're actually talking about it? Or which, which probably means that they're talking about it. But from a practical point of view, it's very difficult for them to to start talking about uh, massaging a 2% inflation to a 3% at a time when inflation is still running uh, freely. And, and, and you know, if anything, we'll reaccelerate a little bit as we come into the new year. Uh, so so that's difficult and then you know to be honest i don't think it matters what matters is where the the end rate on inflation is it does you know whether they have two or three percent is 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 actually a a phony conversation because you know they seem to think they can get it down to two two and a half why would they need three mm. of course uh, the the reason why three still is a more acceptable level is it's the mid midpoint between you know their forecast two and my forecast four so free could be sort of the anger that they want to 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 have, but 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 a non-issue in twenty three, in my opinion. And and I suppose uh, any such move to raise the inflation target would likely be in the context of a very weak economy where inflation is very persistent. So that that reluctance to and it's sort of what you're seeing in the UK with the Bank of England, they're really just shielding their eyes and very reluctant to to do the hiking that they're doing because they know that the UK is in a very bad place with these extreme supply chain uh, supply side limitations to their economy. 
so on that subject of recession, I know you have some strong opinions about where our economy is going, at least in the U.S. And I think you're and maybe contrast the U.S. with the outlook for Europe and the U.K. that this recession, the timing of it, the depth of it. What does it look like in 2023? The market seems pretty convinced that as we as we work into this new year, we're, we're going to be hitting some, some type of recession here. Yeah, since the early summer of, of 22, people have been calling for a very strong recession, which, you know, from what people said at the time, should have been there already now. But as we, we leave 22, we have a, a run rate for Q4 uh, north of 3%. We have uh, just the recent data from the Christmas spend. It's up according to, I think it was Visa, 7.6% year over year. Not a buster, but certainly not a, a consumer, which is coming coming back down. You know, restaurant spending is up 15%. Uh, travel is through the roof. Uh, airlines are, uh, you know, putting out signs that we are sold out in terms of tickets. Uh, hotels are extremely expensive. Um, you have full employment, as, as indicated a few times. Uh, and you have... That 22 on the corporate side actually became a year where most of the sort of the impulse of higher cost for companies to operate was passed through to the to the customers. I think in 23 that's a little bit different. I think in 23 we may see, you know, cost control. We may see a little bit increase in in unemployment, and we certainly will see that they cannot continue to pass on the inflationary uh, impact. But but net net net, I I think you know as we come into twenty twenty three, the market and the GDP for both U.S. Europe uh, and Europe is much better than expected. I mean, don't forget, <clears throat> I remember traveling around uh, early or late summer in Asia, and everybody wants to talk about Europe, where it's going to be closed down, there'll be power outages, and whether Germany will be bankrupt. And what we see in the Eiffel service right now, and what we see in the data in the industrial production is rising and is rising significantly. So economy's resilience under stress is much, much higher than, you know, the the uh, desk uh, operated uh, operating uh, jockeys of <laughs> pundits in, in Twitter and, and that needs to put out views on a daily basis. They just the microstructure of the economy is very, very strong. And, and, and for me to get to a recession, you, you need much higher unemployment levels. And you need to see that the consumer is hurt. Neither, neither of that is happening. There's a huge amount of substitution going on between different products. Energy, of course, now is a boost to consumption in the U.S. because, you know, the special uh, drawing rights uh, on, on the energy side has supported gasoline. And gasoline, as you know better than anyone, John, is is a huge part of how the feel-good factor of an American family. Yeah, on that on that point, I mean, the gasoline price peaked back in, I think it was June, uh, certainly June, July. And that was around the time when measures of confidence were at their lowest. We look at this latest consumer confidence reading we got from the conference board survey uh, for December at, at 108, a big jump in confidence. That's usually very closely linked historically, this survey, with the labor market. And and this survey with, with fewer questions that relate to inflation, we saw the Michigan sentiment survey was absolutely cratered by the inflation issue because there are some questions that are linked there. So you saw a big divergence that's very unusual historically between these two surveys. Yeah, so I agree. It doesn't look like a, a with a consumer confidence rating almost at the highest since January as we're leaving this year that we're about to see uh, the U.S. economy rolling over. Um, so there's that that part. We just mentioned Europe, the U.S. We can hope, of course, that there's some uh, solution to the situation on the ground in Ukraine. That could certainly really boost the European side if there is any chance of a normalization of natural gas prices 
uh, in the coming year, much less oil prices. But what about China? I think China's been a, a massive question mark over the last couple of years with its very asynchronous or, or opposite behavior of, of what's going on in the rest of the world. So very quickly trying to get back on board uh, as as COVID, the first wave of COVID uh, hit. And then the zero COVID policy that just completely was a speed limiter uh, and, and even a recession creator, if you will, is certainly relative to normal behavior in China all throughout 22 a year when the rest of the world was in an entirely different place, and even in back in 21. Now, as the year is kind of winding down, yes, the reality on the ground looks a little bit scary because they've had to unleash uh, essentially COVID on a population that doesn't have a lot of immunity. So the health impact, even though it's a milder variant, may be a little bit larger. We're all hoping the best uh, for that outcome. But if history serves, we got maybe another month once we reach peak, and then this issue fades away, hopefully, from a health standpoint. Clearly, there's going to be a very different reality on the ground for China in terms of the economic activity on the consumption side. What do you think the uncertainties are for China, A, and B, what the impact would be on the global economy if China is sort of normalizing back to its uh, traditional uh, pro-growth stance? Certainly in the short term, China has a, a number of, a lot, lot high percentage of people who are off and sick. So the the reaction will be a little bit delayed, but the answer is pretty, pretty clear to me. It's, they, they're going to come back in full force being the biggest commodity importer in the world, you've seen, and and the commodity traditionally in China sits with the uh, real estate sector, and the real estate sector is now being allowed both to borrow and to raise equity, and overall is getting easier financing through the banking system. So be leveraged on that. The uh, the dual circular, which I mentioned before, is is still a drive where they are forcefully putting money into certainly semiconductors and and defense weapons and weapon systems uh, will going to be initiated. They are still, uh, I don't know how that's going to work, but they're still promising by 2060, they will have zero carbon emission. Uh, mind you, the if you look at their projection on that, they're going to continue to do more carbon emission all the way to 20, 2040. And then all of a sudden, in the space of 20 years, they're a lot of that coal-based, unfortunately. With the... They're still building, a, you know, I think this year alone, they're building 60 uh, power plants, uh, which is coal-fueled. Uh, so so they're still doing that. But but investment is coming to that area as well. So China will come back. Whether it's the, the China that we saw in 7, 8, which carried the world on its shoulder, basically after the uh, the uh, financial crisis. This time, the the global you know potential crisis is wider in scope because simply we are changing the mechanics, uh, the workings of the economy. I think we're going to a better better platform, and I think to a large extent, this self reliance and strategic thinking down the line could be very productive because there is a very high beta or very high correlation between uh, defense spending and 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 productivity in societies is kind of ironic for even for for us who doesn't want to see war that the uh, the military is a big a uh, great reservoir for 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 basic research in the sense that a lot of the you know private used uh uh, innovation we've seen actually come from military grading, uh, everything from, of course, GPS, uh, mobile uh, networks, uh, Teflon, whatever. All this seems to be, you know, you know, reflected in this private public sector uh, uh, work together. So, I've, so I think there's a number of factors that indicate that the the, the omen of focus from the microeconomy may not, maybe not for the macro and the policymakers, but you know, companies are willing to now do more research and development. Uh, companies are willing to spend to get the greater 
product in terms of quality, where I think the last 20 years has been in about, it's been about getting a number of eyeballs. I think they call it in PowerPoint presentations, so basically how many people potentially could look at your product. Now we need to differentiate by having high quality grading. High quality grading is a function directly, in my opinion, of the higher margin cost of capital. If you have margin cost of capital, let's put it at five for companies, then the threshold to enter into uh, new investments is, of course, higher, but it's also uh, more likely that they will actually reach that return, where if you have zero, uh, basically any project has an infinite return. So I think the structure of the economy is really getting rebalanced, and I think the market refuses to understand that this is good news. And 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 the bad news could be, yeah, well, maybe 23 is another volatile year, but at the end of 23, we should be in a position where we are, you know, we have recalibrated the economy to deal with this uh, in, in order of priorities, the, the most important thing, which is, uh, you know, uh, you know, our our ability to navigate as a society, uh, including energy and, and 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 inequality, and I think we are moving to that agenda far faster than the market wants. The market just wants to go back to how it used to be. <laughs> so the market is wanting to return back to the past that is is maybe gone forever with these new priorities. If you're to take a, just a general stab, putting you on the spot, where equities how equities will do. Last time we had a multi-year uh, bear market. Uh, of note, and, and there's very few of these in market history. In the U.S.'s case, we had a, a really rocky 2000, 2001, and 2002, although the market was in quite a strong recovery uh, as 2002 drove, uh, drew to a close. Are we headed for another year of, of rocky returns for equities, do you think? Uh, lower returns, even the deepening of this bear market? And if so, uh, why is that? Is that because of the U.S. or not the U.S. yield, but longer yields actually remaining persistently high and even going a little bit higher. So in other words, we could have, and, and just to put an extra twist on this, the irony, couldn't it be that we have a bad equity market and a bad bond market once again, because things are actually pretty darn good in a lot of ways in, in the real economy? That's that's certainly how the market is set up. As I said earlier, the consensus yeah. is if the real economy did well, it would be negative. But but I I think that 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 is lost on what is the more important conversation, which is that the you know, right now we estimate that seventy-five percent of all public listed companies are cheap, and twenty-five percent is expensive. Uh, that should, uh, but that's not market cap weighted. Exactly. So, so the the problem being the twenty-five percent that are expensive are more expensive than the seventy-five percent is cheap because simply, if you look at the biggest ETFs, everything from from green to uh, technology to biotech, whatever, they're loaded with the same names, which is the basically the fangs. The fangs are still expensive because one, the platform is under attack from. Uh, you know, political uh, uncertainty. I think there is a, a increased focus from governments on the way they handle data, but also the monopoly structure of some of these companies. So that's one thing, which is a slow-moving train. Faster-moving is the fact that a number of people is now signing, signing off on so many and other things. And I think, you know, 23 brought to people's mind that we need to live in the real economy. I think Ukraine focus people on that fact that we 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 need infrastructure we need real views we need real friends uh you know i'm so old that I, my my opinion obviously doesn't count but i have enough difficulty living in the real world if i had to live <laughs> in a virtual world as well uh i'll, I'll be totally lost uh at, at that so so for me the devaluation of the stock market and it's not to be on a two-handed economist on one hand and the other hand but what i want to say for 23 as as a 
I don't have any predictability, but I do expect we could be down 20%, but I also expect we could end the year up 10%. I don't think there is a, for me, very, very clear indication whether we're going to you know, drop further or we're going to go up. It's really dependent on, I, th I think if consensus is right, that we will have inflation collapsing and and going back to the old ways of things, I actually think that's very negative. I think if the real economy gets aligned with the stock market and people start to see, well, we may have to trade a little bit sideways for a while in order to reset the economy, reset the market structure, may reset the way we do supply chains, then I think we, we people start to realize at the end of the year, this is extremely productive. This is really what we'd be looking for in the last 15, 20 years. So, so I have no difficulty seeing both 20% down and then ending the year at 10% up. Because if we get this right, and I think we will, in terms of focus on productivity, we we are we are in for probably the best 15 to 20 years uh, in, in macro ever. Because for the first time, we will be aligning, and I've said it now 50 times, but we will be aligning mm -hmm. the real economy. So the, the, the feel good of the total economy with the feel good of the stock market. As long as these two sits opposite each other, we have a major issue that one of them needs to be addressed. And isn't the one of the things that helps that is a reasonably a reasonable yield at the longer end of the curve. So, so there's some sort of hurdle to actually investing. You're not you're not you know wasting money and misallocating resources and misallocating your investments based on uh, bidding up things because of low interest rates. So it actually maybe helps this process that you're mentioning that the longer yields stay high or even go a bit higher. Yeah, I think the curve. I think you 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 put two outlooks out there: one flattening and one on one uh, inverting. I think it's going to be a flat yield curve. I simply think there's a limit to how much the shorting can go up, but I think we need further inflation compensation for holding 10, 15, and twenty and thirty years uh, U.S. papers or, or European papers. So, so I do think that. The volatility premium built into something like Danish mortgage bonds is too high. That's probably worth on the downside half a percentage point. Mm. On the other hand, I think the uh, the tenor, the uh, the structure of the curves needs to go from uh, from an over focus on the short end and just saying what what is the right medium equilibrium rate of interest rate. It's probably it's probably around you know four percent for US and and three and something in in, in Europe. Uh, uh, certainly, and hopefully, north or similar to the inflation rate. So we move into this uh, positive real rates because positive real rates really means that we have found the solution. I mean, that's that's yeah. the, the great irony. As as afraid as we are of higher interest rate, we have to remember a, 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 an economy that works, a stock market that works, actually operate with positive real rates. Because what is that indicating? It's indicating that the marginal return on capital is higher by deploying it into a company than it is to have it uh, basically being a, a a person who lives on coupons of uh, other people's uh, bad uh, sentiment and behavior. Final question, um, safe havens, if there are any in the new year, where should investors look to park some percentage of their funds that's to you as a safer play than, than perhaps uh, we've seen uh, this year, there hasn't really been a lot of there haven't been a lot of places to run high. The dollar was one place for a while, and and with that gold, which also did quite well, at least versus other currencies, is gold a safe haven? For example, I think gold is, but I think yeah, being a little bit holistic, I think if you invest in anything which is part of the solution, which means it's productive, you will do well. So you know, I like to look at the uh, overall size of the tangible versus intangible. So the intangibles in the case of U.S. Uh, uh, intangibles is 90%. So it's basically IP, uh, where 20% is the real economy to 
to make things work, to get to that point of, uh, I keep referring to as productivity as society, we need to see that the real economy needs to grow. So what is that? That is logistics, that's defense spending, that's mining, that's uh, energy, that is uh, clean energy, certainly, uh, uh, basic research into those things, biotech, cybersecurity is a real world, real tangible assets to some extent, because you cannot operate without that being part of it. And then I know Peter uh, continues to say that the next century will be about bio, biotechs and, and, and the uh, and the structure of nature and biology into structure. So I think that that is your, your lottery ticket. So, you know, of, of all these things just mentioned, I think the only two, as I'm not mistaken, that made money this year was was energy and defense. Defense, spending. yes. Remarkably positive years in a negative year. Therefore, the positivity, uh, the offset was very remarkable for those areas of the market. I recall I just looked at Peter's table actually before with this podcast. Actually, I don't remember the exact percentages, but above 20% for those two categories of the baskets that Saxo has created in these equity theme baskets. So the very strong years and, and remarkable years in a relative sense. Yeah. And and and, and I think uh, uh, green transformation was was pretty, pretty close behind with a small negative return. And, and I think that's still the issue. You know, the biggest unresolved thing is how we are going to deal with energy both in terms of the CO2 emission, but also just getting a base load. A base load is so important, yes. So we we are somewhere Mm -hmm. between, you know, the aspiration of green transformation and the need for for base load. And and for the record, I think this winter was not the real trial. Then the the big challenge will be next winter when China is back bidding for for some of these uh, reserves, where you see the full impact on these new alliances being built between Saudi, uh, Russia and, and China. Um, very, very interesting in in citation marks uh, uh, because I think it's it's a big threat to the global trade flows and and and, and dollarization. But but net net, I think twenty three for me is going to be a positive year because it is where we stop hoping and dreaming and believing and we move to to actionable uh, things that we can deal with, uh, which is higher research and development, better products better quality and and a, a reassessment of that okay maybe we need we will have higher interest rate and then we deal with it i don't think companies have a big issue as you said in history historic terms you know having mortgage rates at four five percent is still cheap relatively yeah. to the cycle yeah. it's just that the last 15 years has been remarkably uh a different uh and in the scope and things we've done so to some extent it's back to, back to back to normal that, that that will be at least for me the 23 thing all right. I think we'll wrap it up there. Thanks for joining, Stain. And uh, yeah, join us for the next few days. We'll be out tomorrow with our listeners edition of the Saxo Market Call podcast. Thanks for listening. This has been the Saxo Market Call. For feedback and questions, reach out to us on Twitter at Saxo Market Call or by email, marketcall at saxobank.com. <laughs>